Well, if you have a Bible with you, open up to Mark chapter 6. And if not, that's all right. We'll have the scriptures on the screen for you today. Mark chapter 6, we're continuing our series called None Like Him, The Life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. But today we're going to start with a verse in Matthew <laughs> uh, that's very applicable to the sermon today. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and then we'll pray and dig right in. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for the baptism that we got to celebrate with Stone, our new brother in Christ. Lord, I'm thankful that he has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. God, you are good. And I pray, Lord, that today as we look to your word that we would feast on it and that we would be satisfied with what you have for us, that we would be satisfied and fulfilled, Lord Jesus, in you and you alone. Would you show us that today through your word? Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So two of the most frequent words used in my house are the words tired and hungry. And not just me, the kids too. Um, <laughs> the words tired and hungry take on new meaning though, I think as we age. You see, as a child, those words refer strictly to our physiological demands. We need food and we need actual rest. And so kids let you know that when they need it. As an adult, though, those words can take on a broader meaning. Sometimes we may say, I'm just kind of tired with life. And what we mean is that we've grown weary in some way to the season of life we're in or just the trajectory of our life. And we may say, I'm hungry. And what we mean is, I'm, I want more. I'm longing and desiring for something better, something more, something extra in my life. You see, for many, I think maybe life just didn't turn out the way you thought it would when you were younger, and maybe you have found yourself in a place where you would say, I'm just tired. And it's funny how tiredness and hunger and those senses of the words go hand in hand as we grow tired or weary in life, we also have this deep hunger inside of us for more, for, just, for something better, or, or maybe just something different. And, and we begin to tell ourselves that old cliche saying that is true, well, the grass might be greener on the other side. We think it might be true, right? The, the grass is greener on the other side compared to my life now and this season that I'm in. And so where does that kind of thinking lead us, though? You know? Like, like where does that greener grass mentality actually lead us? Well, for some people, it leads us to real change in our lives. 
Not always good, sometimes good, sometimes bad. You just want to shake things up in your life and just experience something different in hopes of this new thing bringing the satisfaction in life that you've been longing for. So maybe you go out and you buy yourself something nice. Maybe you try to find comfort in a new relationship of some kind. Maybe you say, it's time for a career change. Maybe you say, it's time for a new hairdo. <laughs> I don't know. It could be anything, right? But for others, it's not so much about change. The tiredness and the hunger leads to a darker place. You can't seem to find that greener grass no matter where you keep looking. And so over time, it leads you to despair and you just learn to cope with the feelings. You learn to medicate those feelings for a sense of temporary relief. So all of us struggle in different ways. Some people medicate with that tiredness and that hunger and the lack of greener grass in our lives through food and overeating. Some of us medicate through just lots of entertainment. We just want to constantly be entertained with shows and theme parks and all this stuff to just keep our minds off of the dark season of our lives. Some of us turn to other harder issues like drugs or alcohol. Many people turn to pornography. We all turn to something, it could be anything, to medicate and cope with this lack of fulfillment in life. Well, you see, our story today in Mark chapter 6 is going to show us how we deal with our tiredness and hunger in life not according to the world and its standards and its preaching, but only according to Christ and finding fulfillment in him. So let's, let's dig right in. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. The story we're looking at today is going to go from verse 30 to verse 44. So Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to verse 44. We'll walk through the story like we normally do, and then we'll make some points at the end. So verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Okay, so where are they returning from? Well, just before this, earlier on in this chapter, in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, you can look back if you want, Jesus had sent out the 12 disciples to preach the gospel to people. This was kind of like their first little mission trip that Jesus sent them on. So he sends them out, right? They've been following Jesus, now they're ready. So they go out and preach the gospel, and he gives them special power as his 12 apostles to heal people and to cast out demons. So they come back from doing that, and they give a report to Jesus. All right, look at verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. You see, Jesus' ministry is growing. His fame is growing across the region. So him and his disciples have been very busy, busy doing ministry. And, and people are, are hearing that they can be healed and that demons can be cast out. And so Jesus and his disciples are human, right? Jesus is fully God and fully man. And so in his humanity, he is tired as well. They need a break. They do. 
They don't even have time to eat, Mark tells us. So Jesus plans a little getaway for them to have some much-needed R&R, but look at verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I like to think this is the equivalent of modern-day paparazzi. You know what I mean? Like, they literally can't escape the crowds. They do not have time to rest. They do not have time to eat. They can't even be alone, it seems. So, so the disciples and Jesus himself are dealing with this physical tiredness, this fatigue, and this hunger. Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, first of all, this is not a small crowd. You see, Mark is going to tell us later on in verse 44 that there were 5,000 men. And by the time you add women and children into that count, this crowd could have easily been between 10 and 20,000 people. So just to kind of put that in perspective, Vistar uh, Veterans Memorial Arena downtown seats 15,000 people. So that's the size of a crowd you're dealing with here in this desolate place as Mark describes it. But notice it says Jesus had compassion on this crowd. He must be exhausted, yet his own physical needs do not distract him from seeing the needs of the people. Look at this, though, verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So, you see, this is the point where the disciples would be perfect for one of those Snickers commercials. You know what I mean? You're just not yourself when you're hungry. Have a Snickers, Peter. Calm down. So the disciples themselves, they're tired. They're hungry, right? They just want to eat themselves. So they realize there's an impending crisis here. It's going to be dark soon. And they have 15,000 people or so to feed out here in this desolate place, right? In other words, the nearest McDonald's is miles away. So these tired and hungry disciples see that they're about to have this real crisis on their hands with all these tired and hungry people who've been out there all day listening to Jesus' teaching, but now need to find some food and some shelter for the night. So they come to Jesus with a plan, right? They come to Jesus and they point out this problem as if he didn't know, right? This is insulting. This is insulting to Jesus because them even bringing this up shows that they think Jesus hasn't already thought about this and doesn't have a plan. So this alone shows a lack of faith and a lack of trust. Verse 37, but he answered them, I love this, you give them something to eat. <laughs> and they said to him, 
Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? So now, I don't, I don't think Jesus is necessarily being sarcastic there to them. I think he is foreshadowing what's about to happen. Like he knows what's about to happen. They are going to give them something to eat. But the, but the disciples though, right? They are replying with a snarky, sarcastic tone. You see, the reason is 200 denarii in the ancient world was about 200 days worth of wages for a common person. So they do this quick math in their heads with the size of the crowd, right? And they sarcastically tell Jesus, essentially, you got to be kidding, right? There, we don't have enough money or food to provide for these people. Verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. <laughs> Again, I just imagine this snarky tone. We've got five pieces of bread and two fish, Jesus, okay? So can we go now, right? I mean, this is pure speculation, but I like to think the disciples, they bring this, this measly bit of food from this kid's lunch, right? And they throw it down in front of Jesus and they say, see, told you so, right? Now, come on. If we don't dismiss the crowd now, we're not gonna beat the Methodists to the Golden Corral. We've gotta go now. But even though the disciples are impatient and rude and lack faith, Jesus has something much better in store for them. Look at this, verse 39. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Now imagine the disciples' frustration when Jesus doesn't act concerned with the lack of food and then he tells everybody to sit down, right? They're like, what are you doing? We're supposed to be dismissing and leaving. Now you're having them sit down? It's gonna take forever. But, but what takes place next is something that only the creator of the material universe could do. Verse 41 through 44. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. A true miracle took place that day. And we're not told exactly what or how it happened. But the creator of the material world took the materials that he created in his hands and multiplied them in a miraculous way so that everyone there was tired and hungry but left full and satisfied. But I believe something else was happening that day and Mark wants us to see this. Yes, Jesus fulfilled that physical hunger of the crowd that day, but true spiritual fulfillment in this life and the next will only be found in Jesus Christ. And I think that's what the story is telling us. Especially, I want us to look at the three main characters or groups, if you will, in this story. We get, we get to see so much truth here in the crowd, the disciples, and Jesus himself. So that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time today, to, to find true fulfillment in Christ. 
to find true fulfillment in Christ, we must see, first of all, in the crowds, our truest need. As we look at the crowd, as Jesus looked at them, we see our truest need as well. Look at verse 34 again. It says, when, when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like what? Sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has compassion on them. He's tired and hungry too. But he knows their truest need, and it's not just a good dinner. You see, here's the thing about sheep. Sheep without a shepherd will die. Because sheep just don't have what it takes to survive against predators and the natural elements left to themselves. They just don't have what it takes. They're not very bright creatures. So they need constant guiding. They need constant direction. They need constant protection and provision if they're going to survive. So a good shepherd will give his sheep these exact things. You could say it this way. A shepherd gives his sheep life. So as Jesus looks out on this huge crowd of people, he sees a bunch of sheep, right? I mean, that's not very flattering for the Bible to constantly remind us that we're no better than a sheep. But it's the perfect image. Jesus sees their truest need. Yes, they need that physical nourishment and rest in the moment. Yes, they need that. But ultimately, he knows that it is their hearts that need nourishing. It's their souls that need rest. You see, humanity's truest need is to know God and to be known by him. In other words, our greatest need, whether we realize it or not, is to have and a relationship with God to be in good standing before your creator and to know and to feel the security that comes with that assurance. Knowing that you are in good standing with your maker, with God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, that truly affects the way you think about everything. It gives you a, an underlying foundational sense of security that nothing else in this world can give you. And knowing that and being assured of that strong relationship that you have with God the Father through Jesus Christ and the sanctification ongoing of the Holy Spirit in your heart, being assured of that and knowing that guards your heart. It protects your mind. Jesus shepherds us through life with that assurance. The church, the early church father, Augustine, said, Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. I love that quote because it's so true, because it speaks to the reason many of us grow tired and weary of our lives the way they are. 
It speaks to the reason as to why we always feel like we're hungry for something better. The grass on the other side is going to be greener and more lush. And if I could just have that job, or if we just had that house, or if I just had that family, or if I just had that relationship, man, my life would be so much more fulfilled and satisfied. But we weren't designed for that. God created us in a way to depend on him. He created us in a way that if we do not find our fulfillment, spiritually speaking, in him and him alone, then yes, it will lead to anxiety and despair. Because when you try to live outside of the design of God for your heart and your soul, it's just not going to work out well. Jesus sees that need in us. He saw the need in the crowd. He sees it in you today. We need him for our lives to function as they were designed to. But we also see something in the disciples. We see in the disciples our greatest hindrance. So in the crowd, we see our truest need to know God and be known by him, to be in relationship with him. But in the disciples, we see our personal greatest problem or hindrance. Now, now notice the disciples in this story. They decide to take matters into their own hands and, and have the audacity to come up to Jesus and tell him what to do. Why? Well, perhaps, remember I told you they had just come back and reported to Jesus how their mission trip went? Well, it was pretty successful, I believe. Perhaps the disciples were feeling pretty confident in their abilities after Jesus had sent them out. And so they were casting out demons and they were healing people. And they're thinking, this is kind of cool. Look what we can do. But they need to be reminded where their power comes from and they're about to be. Look what they say, though, in verse 36. They tell Jesus, they, they make this suggestion to him, send them away. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. We don't want to deal with this. In other words, let them fend for themselves. And then they get all whiny and sarcastic like children when discussing with Jesus about how to feed the people. But instead of questioning Jesus and doubting his preparedness and his ability, here's a thought. What if they had just brought what little they did have to Jesus first, anticipating and believing that, you know what, somehow he would make it work? But no, they think these people can just go buy themselves something to eat. You see, I think it's this, this pride is exactly our greatest hindrance as well to finding true fulfillment in life, which we know is only found in Christ. You see, we try to take things into our own hands, right? We love to to be in control of our lives and micromanage every circumstance around us to feel like we're in control and we have power. And so we like to take things into our own hands and alleviate that spiritual hunger and, and try to get ourselves out of whatever desolate place we are finding ourselves in and we try to basically buy ourselves something to eat. 
In other words, we're turning to anything and everything in this world to satisfy our longings and our desires. We're just looking for green grass. But what if, what if instead we brought the life that God has given us, we brought it to him and we thanked him for it and trusted him to take it and make it whatever he deems necessary out of it. Trusting along the way, his plan is far better than ours. That his plan will lead to true, real fulfillment that ours could never do. What if we did that? What if we brought every anxiety and every fear and every temptation to look for that greener grass and just confessed it to the Lord and said, Lord, you know my heart and you know my emotions are playing tricks on my mind. But God, I believe you are more powerful. You are stronger. And so I trust you with where I'm at right now. And I may not love it. I may not like it. But I trust that you are going to make good out of it. It's our pride, though, that keeps us from doing that. It's our pride like the disciples, not coming to Jesus in the first place, thinking we can solve it and thinking that the grass is greener on the other side and that it leads, that, that just leads to the more spiritual fatigue and famine. That's where it leads. And as you see, it's a selfish way to live. Have you thought about that? It keeps us, it keeps us attentive only to our own desires. So we look at other people in our lives or in the world and we just kind of get the knack of saying, you know what, just let them buy themselves something to eat. Because I'm too concerned about micromanaging my problems. He or she can buy themselves satisfaction and fulfillment. Ironically, our greatest hindrance to living a fulfilled life is ourselves. But thankfully, number three, in Jesus, we see abundant life. In Jesus, we find the answer. We see abundant life. You see, I love this story because it reminds us of the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this growing anticipation that people need rescuing, that people need true spiritual fulfillment, but always seem to come up short. Our, our study that we're doing in the class I teach on Wednesday nights, it's called Storyline, and we're looking at the overall story of the Bible. And, and I know many of you take the class, and, and what are we learning? We're learning that, man, all these leaders in the Old Testament, some are good, some are bad, but you know what? They all fall short. No one can provide the ultimate spiritual fulfillment that only Christ can, and that's what the whole Old Testament is screaming at us. We need an ultimate rescuer. We need an ultimate deliverer. And I believe Mark is showing us in chapter 6 that Jesus is the one. He's the one the people of the Old Testament had been longing for all along. Because you see, this was not the first time God miraculously fed hungry and tired people in a desolate place. 
In Exodus chapter 16, the children of Israel had just been delivered by God out of Egypt. We sang about this earlier in the service today. But they found themselves in a very desolate place, a desert, and they needed food. So God does something miraculous to feed them. He sends bread from heaven raining down, literally, for them to gather and eat. Now fast forward to the first century AD in Palestine where Jesus, God in the flesh, is essentially doing the same thing. He is miraculously providing for the people in a desolate place. But that's not all. I think there's more Old Testament clues here. Mark tells us in verse 39 that Jesus had them sit down in the green grass. Why would he take the time to include that, that word green? Why would he mention that little detail? Well, it's no coincidence. In Psalm chapter 23, we read this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, Mark is showing us that Jesus is the greater, the better Moses who gives bread to the people but his bread leads to eternal life. Jesus is the good shepherd, the truer and better David, who gives his people rest. Jesus himself affirmed this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And how does he do that? How is this possible? You see, as Jesus broke the bread and gave it to the disciples to give to the people, so will his body be broken. And this sacrifice will be the message the disciples will be entrusted to give to all the people. Do you see it? Jesus is taking a seemingly impossible situation with helpless people and provides for them abundantly. Not just the people there that day in that desolate place, but he is doing that for you and he is doing that for me. in whatever desolate place you may find yourself in. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, elaborated on this miracle, and he explained some things for us, and I want to read that to you. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
And then he says later on in verses 48 through 51, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Broken for you. You know, there's something we, we didn't have time to look at today. But if you look just before this story in Mark chapter 6 in your Bibles, if you look just before this story, there's a really interesting story that I challenge you to read about how John the Baptist ended up being um, persecuted and, and killed, murdered. He was beheaded by King Herod. You see, what we're seeing here in Mark is really a tale of two kings. In the previous story, before this one, King Herod was having a big feast, a banquet. And he invited all the elite. The who's who of the area were there. Big spread, plenty of food. The appearance of abundance. But the theme of the party when they brought John the head or John the Baptist's head out on a platter was not life. It was death. But further away in a desolate place, without the luxuries of a palace, another king was having a feast. You see, Jesus didn't invite the elite to his party. It was the humble. It was the helpless. It was the weak. And with the appearance, with the appearance of very little, but in reality, there was much. He took nothing and made it more than enough. He took helpless sheep and gave them life, more than Herod could ever give. That was the theme of his feast on that day and forevermore. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I want you to know that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, this is not the last feast that he's going to have. The feeding of the 15,000 people or so that day in Palestine in the first century was only a glimpse of the feast that God's people will have with him one day. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9, the apostle John sees a vision in heaven. He sees this. He says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. 
For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. You see, in whatever desolate place you find yourself in, every single moment of your life that we are all weak and frail spiritually and emotionally and we just were tempted to think that that other thing or that other person or that other job or that other house or whatever it may be is the greener grass. What do we do in those moments? We remember the feast. We remember that our God is a God who provides. And though you may not think you have everything you need right now, he thinks you have exactly what you need to get through this life, to get to the feast that he's preparing for you forever. It's heaven that we have to keep our minds and our eyes fixed upon. So the things of this world will grow strangely dim in light of what is to come. Maybe you're here today and you know exactly what I mean when I say you're feeling tired or maybe you're hungry. And for whatever reason, the green grass always seems to elude you. I can't speak into your situation specifically, but maybe there's some sin you need to confess. Maybe that's the true weight on your shoulders right now is you're medicating, you're coping with this lack of fulfillment and anything and everything the world has to offer when all along Jesus is standing there waiting for you to repent, to turn around and to trust him that you can bring whatever you have to him as little as you may think it is and that he will create new life. He will take nothing and turn your life into something, more than something, a life of abundance. Not the riches of this world, but the riches of heaven that await you. You see, those who come to Christ are the ones who realize they have nothing. Nothing is all that you need because he has everything to give. We're gonna close with a song here in just a second. And after we sing, we'll have a couple of our church members down here at the front available to pray with you or answer questions you may have. I'm available as well. I'll be out in the cafe. So don't be afraid to come up and tell us, pastor or friend, I'm struggling. I'm just looking for green grass and I can't find it. I see death everywhere around me. I'm tired and I'm hungry. The good news is Jesus' body, 
the bread of life has been broken for you. He did what we could never do. He stood in our place and took the wrath of God upon himself so that he could give us the righteousness of God. Stand firm. Stand firm in that truth. And the cares of this world will fade away. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we owe you everything. You deserve every single bit of our allegiance, our hearts, our time, our energy, our perspective, our priorities, our money. You deserve everything because you gave up everything. You gave up your life for us. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone in here who is struggling to find fulfillment, who has grown weary or tired, or maybe there's just this nagging hunger for more. Lord, would you give us the bread that satisfies? Lord, let us feast on your goodness. Lord, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Lord, may we truly experience that satisfaction. And may our anxieties and our fears melt away because of the true fulfillment you give us as we turn away from the things of this world and to you. Thank you, Jesus, for being that bread. Thank you for fulfilling us like nothing else can. Would you help us today? It's in your name we pray. Amen.